Hello and welcome to the New Culture Forum's weekly discussion show, Newspeak. I'm joined this week by Mark Glendenning, the head of the Cultural Affairs Unit at the Institute for Economic Affairs, by Gawain Towler, the political consultant, former head of media for the Brexit Party, and now involved in the referendum campaign on net zero, and finally by NCF's director, Peter Whittle. Uh, and if you haven't considered it already, we put out this content every week, so you may want to consider subscribing with the button below. So let's kick off um, on this week's news by discussing uh, Zelensky's speech in Parliament. Um, one thing that became quite apparent uh, soon after that speech is that people were quite divided on it. Many people felt that they were, you know, it was a very inspiring speech and other people thought that it was a bit strange that he was being sort of idolised in this way. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I thought it was, it was, quite, I thought it was quite moving. Um, <clears throat> I think the problem is, I'd say, Emma, I don't know what you guys think. I think the problem is that when you say people are worried about idolising, we've got to this stage now where, and I sort of understand it, where people over Brexit or indeed over the pandemic, they felt that anything that the establishment was at one about, they should be very, very suspicious of. Mm -hmm. So it's made people kind of untrustworthy on this subject. I don't agree on that. I think some things are cut and dried. Some, th some things you can take at face value. Um, I didn't know very much about the Ukraine before all of this. Uh, I do think he's an impressive leader. I thought it was lovely the way he quoted Shakespeare and Churchill. Um, and as for this sort of idealisation, I mean, well, who is sort of idealising him? You know, why, why are people getting so... Uptight about this. I mean, who's who on Twitter, maybe, or but you know, in the ordinary world, I think most people look at him and think, "All oh, that guy seems to be doing quite well." I don't think that they are idolising. Would you? I, I think that again, you have this situation, and I, I, I made some comments earlier about this very yeah. thing, and it's the he's impressive. Come the time, come the man, sort of thing. Mm. Uh, one doesn't know because thank goodness we're not in a similar situation, but one doesn't know how our own politicians would react in that sort of appalling situation. Mm. Uh, maybe they would step up. Maybe they would. Um, however, he has been in that situation. He has transparently stepped up. Mm. But I think what you're... I, but it's a bit early to go into the hagiographical approach, which it's mm. not just on Twitter. It's in the broadcast media. It's in the print media. It's across the board. And anybody who just queries, just slow down a bit. I mean... Not that long ago, Paul Kagame was the, the hero, the absolute hero. The Tory party sent plane loads of activists down yeah, to yeah. Rwanda to do stuff for him. He's been turning out into quite a pretty grim dictator himself. Mm -hmm. Aung San Suu Kyi from Burma, mm -hmm. everybody's favourite Nobel Prize winning peace activist. When mm -hmm. she was in power, she cracked down on the Rohingya Muslims. Mm -hmm. And there was some pretty nasty human rights abuses. The heroes we have today become often problematic in the future. One of the reasons why uh, the MOD doesn't like giving VCs in combat these days is because they're terrified that the winner of that VC in 30 <laughs> yes. years' time will get pissed and hit a policeman. Yeah, yeah. So, or tweet something. And, or, yeah. or tweet something. So yeah. let's congratulate the man for how he has behaved and how he is performing right now and support him and provide the military and other support that he needs. But stop turning him to a saint. I know it's the orthodox thing that as soon as you become a hero, you have paintings and icons with, 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 uh, with, with shiny, shiny globes around your head. But 
we, we must retain a little distance and this excitement. Finally, a politician that we can all agree with has, has, has addled some people's brains. Well, yeah, but not just that we can agree with, but who's obviously not a coward. I mean, mm. where yeah. you, where we can support him. Ours being this is... utter cowards and, you know, dissemblers, aren't we? That's exactly why I think it's not that odd that mm. people odd. have responded in this way mm. because we're not used to seeing people mm. who are, and I mean, even quoting Churchill and making allusions to Shakespeare, it was clever statementship. You know, he's, he's trying to do the best for his country. He's got strategic objectives in trying to rally people to the Ukrainian cause. Mm. And I think people are not used to hearing that kind of... Um, oratory from world leaders, and so it, I don't find it particularly surprising that people are, you know, all over. Yeah, it. but I think I think there is a following on from what you were saying. I think there is a, a healthy British uh, scepticism towards leadership in general, which can sometimes spill over into cynicism. But I think overall, it's been a very beneficial thing for the politics of this country. And, you know, going back to George Orwell, and he was writing about why the British could never uh, go down the road of following Oswald Mosley and sort of fascistic totalitarian movements. It's partly because we, we don't take, we don't eulogize leaders in the same way that other cultures and societies have more of an inclination mm -hmm. towards charisma and falling for charisma, you know, as he said, that the British people are more interested in their, in their, their gardens than they were in ideology. And I think there has been a change in British culture. And I think the whole Dianaization mm -hmm. phenomenon was a profoundly unsettling do you think one that's something... for, for many people of my sort of generation, because I, I saw something unhealthy in that. Do you think that's something that has changed now, as we've seen, you know, post COVID, there's always this sort of drive towards consensus politics with the house always agreeing with itself on either side not not having a a real sort of um robust debate about these sorts of things though it was a sort of senti when we i mean i i i, I thought that the um the zelensky speech was very moving and i thought that the responses in the chamber to the speech were very moving but there did definitely feel like there was a kind of homogeneity to um to the to the response, I don't know whether you know that that's mistaken or not. I've got I, I had two thoughts on that. The first is, agreed, it was a moving speech in a situation of, of, of pure horror that he is in. Um, and you're right, I mean, from his strategic objectives, well met. I mean, he's done a damn good job uh, for his strategic objectives. But those people who have just gone, just hold up. Mm. They've had pylons for daring to question mm. the sanctity of this man. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is concerning. Yeah, and that ties into you're what you're saying about right. the dianification. How dare you say that about our new hero? Mm. And I'm not saying he's not a hero, but he, like every man and woman, has feet of clay. We are all human. And in that sense, it is, he, he is, he's been presented to the public as almost a perfect ideal. Of a, of a politician and we know that's not true that doesn't take a thing away from how he's leading his country in an appalling situation um, I think that that is important to note and yeah, I think yeah. this healthy skepticism mm. of is something that we should encourage rather than shout down and I have seen people being shouted down for daring to question this consensus well where was the healthy skepticism during the pandemic then? from people like you sir well yeah, but I mean, it was always quite a sort of 
Am I not? I was never in oh, any But doubt. again, they were shouted down. You're, you're a denier. You're a denier. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, so if you didn't so go, the same if you problem. went banging your, you know, your pots and pans to the NHS on a Thursday night, I gather in some places, it was a bit like the 19th yeah. century when people would be accosted in small towns if it was... Mm if people were aware you weren't going to church regularly. But no, that's, it did surprise me. I mean, the, 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 it did surprise me, Ooh. the British reaction to that. I thought, I remember talking to Rod Little about it, and he basically took the mick out of me. He said, I said, I thought the English were a bit more truculent about their rights and all of this. And he said, oh, yeah, Peter, I think late summer 1953 was about the last time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, he was very, very, very specific. I, I don't really... Agree with, I mean, it might well be happening, the idealisation thing, for like it. I, ju I, I just think it's not really that important. I, I, I think that when you're talking about the issues involved, it's a lesser one. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I really do. <laughs> when you look at what's happening, I, for me, um, it's actually made my mood uh, rise this way. After, and, and frankly, it's been a long time since that's happened. I mean, I sort of look at it and I think, well, first of all, Everyone said that uh, Britain was going to have a diminished role, you know, after yep. you absolutely not happened, right? It really have helped. Um, and I just thought, actually, that's entirely proved you wrong. That's made me feel good. Um, but also just that sort of stepping up for something which I hope has a knock-on effect with us, actually. I, I, I hope people look at that. I'm not saying I don't know even very much about this, man. I don't feel I need to, really, in a way. I mean, you know, real politics throughout the years and diplomacy has meant that we've been friends with people who've been well suspicious. And it's always been the way with humanity, you know, and the other side, too. So I'm not so worried about that. I do hope that that kind of absolute, you know, red blooded standing up for your country, not going to let it go and everything. We could learn something. I hope but we learn something. It is rare to hear the words glory to Great Britain. Yeah. Do you think it will yeah. rub off? I mean, that was that was something, wasn't it? Yeah. When was the last time you heard anybody speak like that about our country mm -hmm. in our parliament? Mm -hmm. And it takes a foreigner to do it. And also, yes, saying to be or not to be. Okay, uh, you might say a bit of a, a cliche and all the rest. Of it, but I mean, I thought you're looking and think, why can't our politicians actually mm -hmm. use these kind of references? You know, why can't they? What? Why? Are they, what are they so frightened? It's of? also interesting to see, isn't it, that a lot of people on the sort of centre left who uh, would, you know, if any kind of British politician were to talk about Britain um, in that kind of a way, they'd be castigated as xenophobes and little Englanders. But if a foreign politician talked oh. about their, their own country in such a way, obviously in a, in a time of crisis in this particular instance, I know it's a sort of heightened situation, but nevertheless, um, the, uh, the, there would be, you know, a very negative reaction well, to a British politician. Flag shagging is about, now very good. <laughs> yeah. there were Only six so months ago, flag so shagging so was awful. So was long as it's not a British actually, flag, uh, I know, you can, you, yeah. can flag, you can shag a foreign flag okay, okay. or any other country virtually, <laughs> but not, not a British flag or probably the American okay. flag. So on, go, moving on slightly you to the... You shag that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the... To the your ears, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so your thoughts. innocence, your innocence has disappeared immediately. Um, so mo moving on from the, the yeah. little sort of piddly issues onto one of the bigger issues. Um, this week we saw uh, increasing sanctions on Russia, particularly Visa and MasterCard and what 
is to be expected Russia moving into the arms, the, the cosy, cuddly arms of the Chinese. Um, how big of a problem do you think that is? And I know, Gowan, you've, you've got your own sort of uh, angle on that, your own story about uh, Chinese, uh, Chinese <laughs> flirting <laughs> with the West. It's about this way. Is there something you want to share? Uh, only the recipe for... Um, uh, baby oyster porridge, which I'd love to get hold of. It's absolutely magnificent. But, um, but no, I, we have known for a long time, have we not, that uh, Russians and their bot farms, the Chinese and their influence and buying schools and buying university departments and, and so with Russians and so on and so forth. Um, if you go into any science department of any British university, half the PhD students are not from these aisles and what's more, are not from countries that are friendly to these aisles. Suddenly, in the last year or so, oh, how can this be? They're stealing our int. Well, yeah, um, and this this is it, this is not news. Um, in many ways, the I mean, Russia has since the the, the sanctions of a while back, um, its economy, unlike most Western economies, without if you take away the money they get in through uh, natural resources, the gas and the oil. Um, is significantly self-sufficient. Um, Ukraine, of course, is a breadbasket and supplies not just Egypt, where we've seen the prices go up through the roof, but also supplies a lot of Russia's and, and our own uh, corn. So it's not just oil and gas that's going through the roof, it's also corn prices um, because Ukraine is the breadbasket. And so the, the Chinese are now just signing whatever contract they need with the Russians, they get the oil. What I find, and um, this, this leads on, this is the thing, it leads on to what we're discussing next, um, but the, the, the drive to uh, the, the net zero drive in the light of prices going up seems to me to be absolutely nuts. If we are looking at, if we are serious, and looking at making everybody drive your electric cars and this, that, and the other is the future. One, where's the power come from? It's all very well to drive people driving electric cars, but you've got to make the electricity from something in the first place, and it's not just going to be windmills. But also, the raw materials required for those, a vast proportion of those raw materials come from China, Russia, and oh, well, they used to come from Afghanistan, and who's got that now? Mm. Uh, well, the Chinese have. Mm. Um, and so we are jumping from the fire or the frying pan of our of European reliance on Russian natural resources, natural gas, to an even greater reliance on other materials that we don't possess ourselves. Whereas we do have, under our own feet, resources that will keep us ticking over whilst we come up with better technologies. Mm -hmm. And we need to come up with better technologies, let's be honest. But we can do, we, we do have a stopgap here. You're talking about fracking. Right. Not just fracking. There are other ways to get shale gas out. You don't have... It's not just fracking. We can do better than that. Fracking's been going on. If you go to the Dorset coast, there's a... In Kimridge Bay, there's a nodding donkey. That is taking oil out of shale and has been for something like 45, 50 years. Mm. Nod, nod, nod it goes. And every year it produces some. And it's one of the most beautiful bays you're likely to find in the south coast of England. And there's an oil well in it. Um, the, the size of the space used for this well is less than this studio. That's how big, about the same size of this studio. 
That's how large this well is. And it produces and has done for decades. So the idea that it's all disaster if we were to tap our own resources in this way is wrong. Yes, fracking has a bad name. But every time the Americans particularly have found a problem with fracking, they've solved the problem. We're not coming in at the beginning of technology. We're coming in decade down the technology where the ability to get at these resources has far fewer dangers than even 10 years ago. Because at each time there's a problem, it's solved. And we can become world leaders in both the technology for producing it, but also uh, in, in protecting ourselves and being able to sell to ourselves and possibly on the open market a resource that doesn't require, doesn't require us relying upon those people who are hostile to our broader intentions. Do you think the reality of the situation is going to create more sort of popular momentum against this pursuit of net zero, that the reality of the situation and the rising costs is, is, is going to force people to it, have to reckon with the reality of this. It is notable that in, within the last week, within the last week, we have gone from this week we're going to put concrete tops on the tops of the yeah, wells to they're, actually we're not. <laughs> they're not going to do that then? No. Nope, they've decided yesterday, they decided not to put the concrete tops on the tops of the wells, and let's do some more research. So, yes. In answer you, to your question, yes. Do you think that the government will be likely to do away with their green levies in order to try and... Sadly not. No, I don't no, think so. Carrie, Carrie wouldn't the, allow uh, that. She'd have some sort of terrible I, this, this goes, hissy fit this, in the flat above number 10. I think Boris... But this know. goes into the same problem, if it's a problem, that we mentioned with Ms Lesney. Everybody in the room says yes. It doesn't matter what the population think. Mm. Everybody in the room says yes. Mm. And when it comes to the Climate Change Act, I think there's one vote against it. Um, everybody who wants to be seen to be nice and cuddly and fluffy and lovely and, and all the rest of it say yes. And mm. so for a movement to change that, and you're now starting to see there are backbenchers, again, Tory, a bunch of Tory backbenchers proving that the Tory party is a house against itself. Um, there are some who might argue against this. Uh, you wouldn't get 100% of both houses now voting in one way. But um, I think that there is still a visceral fear of Greta mm -hmm. in, amongst most people in both houses. Mm -hmm. And that sort of screaming, how dare you, from a 16-year-old, and in many cases their own 16-year-old at home at breakfast, mm. is causing them a great deal. To be sensible is a very dangerous thing. Another thing that has been sort of rattling about this week has, has been the sort of charge of Russophobia, people going for thing, all things mm. Russian, mm. Um, aside from the political situation. Um, we were talking just before filming about um, the Cardiff Philharmonic deciding to cancel their performances of Tchaikovsky. Yeah, that's terrible. What, do, what do you think about... Do you, mm. Is this just pure philistinism, or do you think... You know, what is this? I think there was also... Uh, putting ...putting mm. pictures of Putin on urinals, things like that like what do you what do you think of that it's part i think it's partly actually you're quite right to use the word philistinism it's partly that i remember a, a, a conversation i think it's sort of just unbelievable ignorance uh and it's you know it's it's quite absurd i remember having a conversation during the whole blm thing with some friends um and with a friend some yeah sort of like acquaintances and uh they were sort of I, I, I remember talking about people who should come down and things like this. And they, I remember this, they, I said, well, what would you do about Wagner? I mean, 
would you stop Wagner being played? Because he was a shocking anti-Semite and Hitler's favourite and everything. And they had never heard Wagner. Um, but they said immediately, well, of course he should. And I said, what you mean, like, off the radio and everything? Yeah. Absolutely clear about it. And you might say, well, but the thing is, they're entitled to their view and everything. But to me, it just showed uh, a kind of absurd lack of, well, nuance doesn't even begin to cover it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, what is the point of, of, of uh, you know, of, of counselling Tchaikovsky concerts or any of this? Is, 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 is I think it was... Is, um, not gonna, not, is it not going to... You shouldn't do it. I mean, it's, it's not the same... Thing. I mean, but we're living in sort of post-rational times where this sort of madness, which we've seen in a very domestic way with the whole, you know, statues mm. issue uh, and, and, you know, decolonizing the canon and all this kind of stuff um, is, is now spreading uh, to any political issue. And the, mm. so there's this tremendous desire to, to sort of personalize mm. everything because that's of course, part of the anti-rational mindset yeah. that and particularly the new are, left are, are mm. now embody. Mm. Uh, and there's a frightening anti-intellectualism here, which I think is reminiscent of fascism. I do believe that the new left is a proto-fascistic movement, not only in terms of its overt, overt tendency towards authoritarianism, but because of its complete anti-intellectualism. And, and I think there's a danger here, and I think we're seeing it with this kind of madness, which in another context, if a conservative was to advocate something as stupid as this, as boneheaded as this, would be castigated quite rightly as Philistine idiocy. But if a left, if again, if it's the, the cultural elite, if mm -hmm. it's the centre left uh, making these kind of mad suggestions, then that's sort of okay. But What's strange Tory about MPs, the... Sorry, I'm a, Tory MPs have done this too, haven't they? Well, well, I mean, they're, they're just as bad then, yeah. That was, so, that was the point that I was going to make, is that yeah. what's strange about this, and you, it is, I think it's interesting that, you know, this kind of leaking of a way of thinking into the mainstream, that, th that this particular sort of... Um, attempt to go after and like you know going after Dostoevsky and I think it was so Armari <laughs> wrote a piece that um, I think it was in the American conservative make he made a really good point I think it, I think it was so Armari saying that um, it, it's almost as if they think that we've got that there's nothing that we could even learn about the situation by being knowledgeable about Russian culture and Russian history well, that actually it's in our interests to know these things that actually that leaking of that anti-intellectualism now isn't it's not left or right it's not the the normal divisions of left and right uh, on all of these issues has become completely it's a debased muddled culture up. i mean it's simple as that it's a culture that no longer knows it's 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 lost its moorings it no longer can see these things in perspective it doesn't understand anymore i mean you know I, I, that may probably in their view that would mark me out as some kind of elitist to say that but i mean you know, but the you fact are. it. Well, no, no. But the, well, but the, but the Stop. fact. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact, the fact of the matter is, 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 is that these kind of judgments and these kind of things can only come, surely, from people who have absolutely no sense whatsoever of kind of perspective or part. But everything is instinctive, and that's why it's kind of animalistic. I'd like to, so, yeah. to throw in. In 1940, during the Blitz, the great English Jewish pianist, Myra Hess, yeah. organised a concert every single day at the National Gallery, mm. even when the bottoms were dropping. Mm. She played, she was most famous for her Beethoven, her Schubert, her Brahms. Mm. 
She was English, she was Jewish, she was a pianist in the National Gallery. As German bombs were dropping in Westminster, she was playing Beethoven. And the king and queen went to see it. And the queen went to see it, yeah. So, if, if, meanwhile, we're not even at war. And the Cardiff Symphonetta is banning Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. We've lost our collective mm-hmm. minds. Mm-hmm. On, yeah. Related to that, um, I thought that it might be interesting to dip into the TFL stare, anti-staring campaign, mm-hmm. um, because this seems to be, and I'm, I go on the basis of, um, Mark wrote a very interesting article on this. Could you not um, look at me so directly? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're Am I staring aggressively? Uh, yeah. can, can you explain, for people who don't know, what, yeah. what is the anti-staring thing? What is I that? think Mark would be better to explain it. So, um, late last year, Sadiq Khan launched a campaign against, I don't know, sexual abuse or something on the London Underground. And there was a whole list of things you weren't allowed to do, most of which were already criminal offences, <laughs> self-evidently. Precisely. But it was launched the great fan. We're going to be protecting the women of London uh, from, you know, people who do X, Y and, and Z, uh, some of which are quite legitimate things, but they're already illegal. Um, but one of the most hilarious aspects of it, I think there were seven different uh, aspects, dimensions to this campaign, was a campaign against staring, Staring. sexual staring, undefined um, as to what would actually constitute sexual staring, sexually Sexually intrusive staring. Now, I don't know if you would like to give us an an impersonation as to what you would consider to be sexually intrusive staring where you want the London Underground and and a person were to be staring at you in this way. I'm not quite certain how you would even know that there was sexual intent. Look how Peter looks at Roger. So they they have now sort of put this campaign, the staring aspect of it, into action. A couple of weeks ago, I was sent a, a photograph by a friend, and she was amazed to see this incredible poster, which looked as if it was a bit like that Tory party poster. Do you remember from the 1997 election, which everybody laughed about, demonised, yeah. with Tony Blair with mad eyes? And so they have their own version with the word staring, and then two sort of manic eyeballs <laughs> bearing into you, coming out of some of the letters. <laughs> and then it says, you know, sexually intrusive staring is an offence. It's not quite clear, actually, legally, what, what could be connected. Would somebody who felt they were being stared at, would they be yes. entitled Subjective to pull the emergency cord, stop the train, the London Transport Police would come onto the train, take you off, were you to be... Presumably, it would would be on the basis of the person's perception. Well, quite, that's another sort of postmodernist. Of course. And if somebody is hard of sight, is is partially sighted, (laughs) (laughs) I might feel if somebody is staring at me... It's an ableist campaign. If if somebody is staring at me, I might feel that they are being... Actually, that will never happen in my case. There's no definition. But... How, how what is the duration of the stare? Is it two seconds? Ten seconds? You, half an hour? Do you think this is a, <laughs> is a, is a, a mixing together of the, um, the sort of radical subjectivism, as you were saying before, mm. you know, this, this um, 
nannying desire to kind of control people's behaviour, but with this subjective element to it, mixed with TF TFL's post-COVID nannying. So it's a mm. sort of toxic mixture of all of these different things that have been going on in the last couple of years. Do you yeah, think no, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of the, the COVID point, but I think that that's all added to... But is it not part of the banning adverts, like the uh, Beach Body Ready yeah. adverts? Isn't that part of the same thing? These adverts are not allowed, and we're going to put up different adverts that tell you you're not allowed. Yes. It's, I mean, of course, there's a huge dollop of identity politics, because when you say radical subjectivism, you're right, but of course it's a very selective subjectivism. Mm. So that if certain groups of people were to say, oh, I feel I'm being stared at in an aggressive or sexual manner, I suspect no action would be taken. Tweed I don't. I, I don't want to alarm you, but I don't think, yes, <laughs> a, a tweed wearer, probably no, no follow-up action would be taken against the, the person, or indeed persons, sexually, uh, staring at you. So I think there is obviously here, you know, there's clearly a, it's, in, it's designed to appeal to the sort of feminist lobby in the same way that Sadiq Khan now has um, feminist and transgender symbols on traffic lights in parts of time. inner London. They've been there for a long yeah, time. LBGT, whatever it is. Um, uh, things cost £10,000 a time, uh, you know, crossings. Separate um, crossings. So it's all part of the way in which identity politics is being injected into our society, imposed upon it through public ideology, through a semi-state ideology we now experience, well, and taxpayers are having to pay for this. Yeah, there's, you, you, know, you mentioned the zebra crossings, uh, which I quaintly call the zebra crossings, <laughs> but even, like, uh, there was a uh, woman got into hot, Legal to be hot water this week, a teacher talking about uh, the rainbow stairs in her school and mm -hmm. all of this. It, by implication, you're kind of, it's making you agree in an odd way by using the thing. When, mm -hmm. when you walk across mm. it, you're yeah, being kind of cajoled into kind of using it, even though it's just a zebra crossing. I mean, I think with this staring thing, I, when I first saw that poster, it looked like staring. <laughs> so I thought it was like a film poster. It's just staring. But I sort of thought, this is typical of the left. They've always had a problem with people's, um, they've always had a problem with intimate human relations. Mm -hmm. you know, they always, it's the one area that they've never been able to get into, you know, in a way. They, they want to regulate it. You know, I, I, this goes right back, actually, the past century to Mar Marxism. And I thought it was part of that somehow, that sort of, we want to somehow or other control the way people actually respond to things. I'm not saying people don't leer at people, but you know, can't we take things and, you know, can't we do things for ourselves? But also, leering at but, but is, you say, what are you staring at? Isn't staring at somebody in an unwanted fashion a microaggression? Well, I think, it, I mean, is well, leering, leering is not, I presume, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but I don't think leering is a criminal offence. <laughs> yeah. And so they're saying that this is sexual harassment but yeah. not mm. legally speaking, presumably. And so it's moving in the direction of well, saying that... Well, to describe it as an offence is suggesting it in, is, even though it isn't. Indefinite, mm. yeah. I mean, it's the same as when you, you get, you know, certain lobby groups will be, set, will be misrepresenting the Equality Act, for example, that it's, it's almost misrepresenting the law to suggest that looking at somebody in a certain way is some kind of Sorry. criminal offence because you would assume that sexual harassment would be a criminal offence. And so it's moving the goalposts into the realms of my Microaggressions being Becoming, viewed as yeah. a criminal act. Mm. Can I just pick on Peter's point, which I mean, it's very, very important in this uh, context and follows on from what both of you <coughs> have just said about microaggressions. Um, 
at the heart of all this, and this is where I think, you know, is the fundamental difference between liberals um, and, on the other hand, the, the new authoritarians of the new left, because not all the left are authoritarian on all issues, of course. At the heart of this is a, con a conception of power and an understanding of power. And the way in which the whole concept has become radically elasticated to the point whereby virtually anything can be interpreted as an act of oppression, yeah. of attempted dominance. And this, of course, goes you know, back to the sort of postmodernists, um, to the idea that all human interactions, even the way we look at each other now, even the way we're talking, is implicitly a craving for power over the other. And this has had a huge impact upon the new left and now upon politics and law. And that is why it's so dangerous, because it's taking away the understanding of power in its rational uh, sense as being physically observable acts uh, and material processes. And once you divorce the concept of power from empirically verifiable acts and processes, <coughs> then you're on a slippery slope towards the state being able to, you know, put cameras in our well, homes because we might be engaging in all kinds of acts of power. It becomes something almost Gnostic because mm. only a select group of people are able to identify where that mysterious spi evil spirit mm. lies. Mm. And then you end up with a situation where, you, you know, you have you certain groups who are trying to in, a, in their own way seize power in order to exercise society of this evil spirit mm. that nobody can see well it's akin to witchcraft i mean it's akin to belief in witchcraft <laughs> speaking seriously speaking of witch the thing is, is as well is that it's connected to this whole thing of bullying um mm -hmm. you hear this word bullying all the time i know we're going to maybe talk about burkow uh, at some point but the thing is you know uh, i think it was dawn butler that great Intellective art said um, something like uh, something like um, uh, he not. was he was bullied he was bullied because he wasn't given a, a peerage uh, a peerage but the thing is that basically bullying <laughs> now oh, genius I, genius I always thought bullying was something school kids did to each other but mm. we now use this word to mean disagreeing uh, or even disagreeing very strongly right I mean and basically pushing your point over, now that's become bullying, which to me is infantilization. Well, it's in, in the case that what Dawn Butler's trying to say is that the uh, removal of a cake for Mr. Burko, he deserves a cake. All good boys deserve cake. <laughs> and, and the government wouldn't give him cake. Yeah. That's bullying. Because he will be disappointed. And because he's disappointed in what he thinks are his just desserts, that becomes bullying. Well, another example is um, Laurie Penny. Yeah, um, like towering intellect of our times. He's written a book hilariously on fascism. And we won't. Well, we'll, I'll leave that for the time being. So she's written a book about fascism, <laughs> and because it's been slated even by people who, you know, are, are naturally sympathetic to it, she's now claiming she's been bullied. I think. Well, she says she's been traumatized reviews. emotionally. And when J.K. Rowling and Julie Bindel and others steamed into it, then this created people saying, you're adding to the trauma poor Laurie is but experiencing. All of, this, all of this, the whole point underlying all this for me, is it's total insincerity in it. People don't really feel bullied. They just want to be seen as victims. She doesn't really feel bullied. Of course not. 
all the other people that we're talking about do not feel bullied or really it's just that you sort of say it now because you know to be a victim uh, or to you know to appear a victim there's a huge amount of it has kudos, kudos is, in it now you know i mean which is terrible you know because basically we stop being stopping adults and then we look at Zelensky yes and well, he's the this, adult in the room this is the point no but this is the absolute point sorry to That's okay. but this is the absolute point right because I just hope when you look at what Lionel Shriver she brilliantly said genuine um, what actual bad badness she them. real yes, badness actual badness well, things that are happening and you sort of think perhaps you know this will be a salutary one a salutary wake-up call I have to say I doubt it because mm. we thought that as well with the pandemic. You know, all of this kind of stuff would stop because suddenly you had life or death situations. No, it didn't. In fact, if anything, it intensified. Yeah, it um, and, and, and that is the one. Maybe, though, you know, the mere fact that he is being idolised, Zelensky, might make a difference. I, you know. one, one of the things that I guess you can do to try and claw reality back and claw back some objectivism is to refuse to use the wrong language that people are trying mm. to compel you to mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. So in a situation like, for example, the whole saga around Burko and his behaviour, obviously his behaviour is bad and inappropriate and... The, it is being described as bullying, but what would you describe it as? What word would you use instead to describe the sort of way that he was treating his staff? I, I wouldn't say bullying, but you see, bullying, uh, he, he might be a personally repulsive man, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, might about he, he, he might want. Far more importantly, in a way, I mean, the, the staff thing is important. What was more important, I think, was when his, that inquiry or whatever it was said he, he, was, he lied and lied, right? That's important. And also the fact that one of the great offices that we have, right in the centre of our constitution, tried to thwart. Mm -hmm. the and Brexit despite vote. the fact that everybody knew he was an appalling yes. man yeah. and was hectoring mm -hmm. and uh, uh, used abuse of power over mm -hmm. his underlings mm -hmm. with, with, with mm -hmm. horrible regularity, and this was known, a large chunk of our mm -hmm. elected betters decided to ignore this great wash of personal failing that in anybody else they were thrown a huge book at mm. because he was on their side. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, because yeah, he yeah. would subvert the constitution to subvert the vote of Brexit. Yes. And therefore, he was to be forgiven. I mean, the comments being made about him when he was deliberately undermining our constitution, deliberately thwarting the will of the people, these people who today whiffle on about minor issues are the ones that were lionising it. Mm. I'm conscious of the time, so I'm going to move us on to um, our fun subject, I guess you'd say. Um, witchcraft. <laughs> which, witchcraft, another, another uh, angry, angry little person. Um, <laughs> uh, Nicola Sturgeon this week um, has obviously been in the news partly because of the gender recognition reform um, <coughs> bill that the, the Scots are pursuing, which will make it easier really for people who are 
um, who identify as another gender to do so. It, it removes the psychiatric and medical requirement for psychiatric and medical reports. Um, it shortens the period of reflection, period of reflection required to three months. And so people like J.K. Rowling have been coming out against this and criticizing it, saying that it puts women in danger, which I think she's absolutely right there. Um, but it's also come in the same week as the International, um, as International Women's Day, the Vagina Museum, because there is such a thing, decided to make it all about trans history. Um, and they put a tweet out saying that they turned off replies on their tweets because, quote, some people would prefer these stories to be erased and silenced whilst they were themselves in where the process the, of... Where is the Vagina Museum? I think it's in Camden. Um, it it should anybody wish to pay a visit. Um, but also, um, again, on International Women's Day, um, Annalisa Dodds, the Labour Equality Shadow Minister, uh, said on BBC Woman's Hour that she um, wasn't sure how to define what a woman is. And J.K. Rowling, you know, responded to this well. and has yeah. been really critical, saying that somebody should send her a dictionary and a backbone. Um, and it, all of this has been swilling around with the the story, the funny story of the week, which is Nicola Sturgeon apologising to witches for, I think it was the Witchcraft Act 15-something or other. Um, 1723, did it finish? So she was, she was apologising to witches for, and this is a quote, um, those who have suffered injustice driven by misogyny. So presumably witch hunting would be illegal under the Scottish Hate Crime Bill because it would be regarded as misogynistic. Even um, for the male witches who were killed. Quite. So what, what do you think is going on here? Like what, do you, what's your sort of analysis of all of the way that International Women's Day has been twisted and... I suppose in the case of Sturgeon, she was looking for something to hang her International Women's Day hat on. Um, little pointy one. Um, <laughs> and she happened across. Now, there is no doubt that I think it's upwards of 5,000 women in Scotland were uh, charged with, and many thousands were executed for witchcraft somewhere between 1576 and 1723, I think. Um, this is true. But, I mean, you're really trying to find something to say, aren't you, if that's all you can manage? I... Today, she, she announced that she's interested in a no-fly zone over Ukraine. So she doesn't have witches to defend her. She won't have nuclear power, nuclear mm. trident to defend her, but she does want to start a third world war. The woman seems to be absolutely all over the place. But this is the I thing the that you were saying about, like, Lionel Shriver talking about actual mm. badness. Clearly, we mm. still have people who are fighting against fake badness, and it's not even mm. that they have their priorities wrong. They're just not seeing the wood through the trees. The thing is, though, I, I mean, I, this is a bit of a wild, wild guess, but... I, I think probably quite accurate. These people like Nicola Sturgeon, right, these pygmies, literally, sorry, these, these, these small political pygmies, they look at people like Zelensky and they look at these events. Never underestimate, I think, with politicians' jealousy. You know, they want glory. They want glory and fame. All of those things, however they dress it up, don't, wouldn't you say? They want, and yeah. they will look at things like this happening and they'll think, you know, they're sort of, you know, this is going on here and I'm nothing to do with it. You know, how can I, you know, and I think that that really can't be underestimated. But really, essentially, if you're, you know, actually, if you were Zelensky, 
or Putin even, you would look at this kind of thing going on and think, what is the matter with these people? Mm -hmm. You know? What, 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 what? You know? There's real stuff going on yes, in the world. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Why are you worrying about... And it yes, might exactly. be nasty at the time, and it was, but that was literally hundreds of years ago. Yeah, are, yeah. We going to, are we going to pardon... Um, are we going to pardon the Vikings? Uh, are we going to are we, or get a demand a policy? Well, no, no, because they or, suffered from toxic masculinity. So sure you would never... It's this desperate looking for things to talk about when there are very real things that should be spoken about now. Mm. But I don't want to come across as an obsessive, but I think there's a, the, you know, this kind of stuff, while it's kind of laughable on, on one level and it's providing mm. us all with a sort of bit of humour, it is indicative mm. of a very sinister ideology, mm. um, uh, identitarian, neo-fascistic ideology, which divides our societies into goodies and baddies, uh, oppressors and oppressed, and they are constantly trying to shoehorn this madness, this anti-liberalism, into everything, even historic events that took place several hundred years ago. Um, and they are constantly using everything, if the, people, the way we look at each other, historic events, anything. Um, the decor of this, you know, this establishment, everything is being utilized in this very totalitarian way and so there's this weird mixture that postmodernism, which you would think would lead to a kind of um, uh, uh, indiv highly individualistic as you said epistemological su subjectivism is actually being used strategically to try to destroy all established beliefs even that there are mm. things called men and women and that they mm. biologically objectively exist and on top of that then to bring in this ideology, which is highly authoritarian uh, and highly elitist. And so all of this stuff has to be seen in context. If you look at it in an isolated way, you don't get it. You don't get its significance. Before wrapping up, I just want to get your final thoughts on, on this question, is that the way that this is sort of the... the trans arguments have been buried into International Women's Day, I think is, is really interesting. And obviously there are lots of women who are very concerned about this, JK Rowling being probably the most high profile person. What exactly do you think is going on with the, you know, the way that this is, is, is being, you know, International Women's Day is being co-opted in this way. And also at the same time, you have people like Annalisa Dodds, and I think it's probably fair to say that politicians like her just don't have the sort of sense of security to be able to say, actually, no, a woman is this. Do you have any sort of final thoughts on exactly what's going on there, why it's being used in this way, why they're using particularly International Women's Day to push um, trans well, issues? I mean, uh, I don't mean to, 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 to be dismissive, I, I would, but I, I would think it's pretty much of a piece. I think, why wouldn't they? I think the majority of women don't even know it's Women's International, Women's Day, I don't, I, I don't think they should know. I think it's, these things are entirely gestural, they mean nothing. I mean, I, I think that are the, the general argument about, you know, the way women are being sort of essentially erased is of huge importance and ongoing. But I think that it's almost inevitable that these people would, uh, this International Women's Day, that they would do this. Almost I, I, I agree with you, it's inevitable, but I think what is... What is really sad is that people who are in a position 
to call this out are too frightened to do so. Mm-hmm. Last year, the National Conference of the of Her Majesty's Opposition can be boiled down to one word, and that's woman. Mm-hmm. Because the entire conference, three days of their conference, we have no idea what anybody said about where... The only mm-hmm. thing that I can remember from it is people were running away from journalists saying, what's a woman? <laughs> and, and they couldn't answer. Um, and that, that was their entire three-day conference. That's all they said. It's the only time I think I've ever seen a political party go down in the polls during their, their conference. Because the only thing that came out of it was fear of the word mm. woman. Mm. Madness. Any final thoughts on the clownish situation of people running away from the word woman? <laughs> well, um, it, it's indicative of the fact that the centre-left um, is becoming uh, an overtly postmodernist movement. And in a way, that is a good thing because I think, as Lenin said, worse is sometimes better. Let um, all of these people um, go for it wholeheartedly. I want them to now become overtly authoritarian on these Mm. and other issues because I think here lies an opportunity for the creation of a politically, if not economically, uh, liberal popular front, which includes left-wing rationalists, Mm -hmm. uh, traditional non-intersectional feminists, uh, libertarians, uh, conservatives, and what have you. Uh, And I think we need now much greater clarity as to where the dividing line in British and Western politics is. And anything that accentuates that that helps to develop that sense of awareness as to what's happening, uh, which clears away the sort of conceptual fog, is a good thing. So I say, bring it on. And that is a really good constructive note to end on. Mm. So uh, thank you, Mark, Gawain, Peter. And thank you you to you for watching. Um, Please like, subscribe, comment below. Let us know what you think of the show or your thoughts on any of the subjects. And we will see you next time on Newspeak. Thank you very much. Hello, if you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember, to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.